and writing to me, I think writing is similar mystical moments, punctuating a long, long life of just showing up. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. If you already listened to the podcast series we did in December called The Power of Writing It Down that was in conjunction with my book release, my book is called The Power of Writing It Down, then you'll recognize the voice and name of today's guest, Audrey Assad. Audrey is a singer-songwriter. She's a powerful and intuitive woman. She's a poet and a writer. She's working on a book right now. She's a deeply creative person. She's a mother, and she's also a spiritual woman healing from the wounds of a fundamentalist background in the Christian church. I know many of you can relate. She also just has so much wisdom to offer on what it means to show up as fully yourself in this world unapologetically. And that's why I made the decision to go ahead and release this entire episode, in spite of the fact that you may have heard pieces of this before as part of that series. Because we recorded this for the series, Audrey and I cover a whole gamut of topics from faith to music to healing. But if you have a song in you that you haven't yet sung, metaphorically speaking, I want you to get ready to be inspired by the lovely and the talented and the wise and the beautiful Audrey Assad. Can you start by introducing yourself? Just say your name and then what you do. Yeah. My name is Audrey Saad. I am a singer-songwriter, producer, and new author. I'm working on a book. And I'm a mom. Yes. And those are the things I do. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about your book. There's a lot to say about that. But I kind of want to back up a little bit and start with just you as a songwriter. That's how I've known you for years now. I'm curious to hear for you what the practice of writing means to you in your life. Is it, how did you stumble upon this as a practice? What keeps you coming back to it? Well, so I started out writing prose and poetry really young. Um, I didn't write a song till I was right, like right around 19 years old. And so it kind of, the songwriting practice started because I had, I've been a musician my whole life, Mm -hmm. but it never really occurred to me to write much music. And then I had like a religious experience when I was 19. And for whatever reason, that inspired a lot of songs all of a sudden. It was mm-hmm. kind of like out of nowhere. But I had been writing, you know, short stories and poems and stuff since very, very young. And so I think I always had a writing practice. But it didn't get to music till till I had this kind of religious awakening at the mm-hmm. time. And then all of a sudden I had a lot of stuff to say and a lot of stuff yeah. to sing. And so I started. So the, so actually pretty quickly I was like, I wonder what I can do to get better at this. 
And so I found this challenge online. I was like, right, the the internet was definitely around, but I was new to Google and stuff. But I remember Googling like writing challenge and it was like, for 30 days, every day, write a poem, start to finish, no matter how crappy you think it is, but it has to be done. And I did that with songs. So I did a 30 day songwriting challenge where I wrote a song every day for 30 days. Wow. And that was the way that I feel like I primed the pump of the soap. It was kind of like getting it flowing. Yes. And then I was just sort of off to the races from there. That's huge. I'm curious how you make sense of the spiritual experience you had. And I'm asking because a lot of the writers that we work with have sim- say things that are similar in that, you know, you get a, a like a wave of inspiration. You're not sure where it comes from. You yeah. have this story that you feel you have to tell and you kind of can't not do it. So what do you... How do you make sense of that? What do you make of that? Well, at the time, I mean, when I was that age, I thought it was, I was still very, very religious, very conventionally religious. And so at the time I would have said the Holy Spirit, you know, inspired me and he, because I would have gendered the Holy Spirit as a he, you know, called me to this like practice that it was sort of, and there's not, it's not that I look back at that and think it was totally off it's just I mean my understanding of what spirituality is has expanded so much that I look back at it now and I just think ever since I was a small child I've had spiritual experiences and I thought that they were you know God like poking me or like I don't know what how I would have framed it and now I just think I've always been finding moments to connect to the collective consciousness it's sort of like some people, I think we all have the capacity to do that, but some people are maybe born with or have a predisposition to having their antenna up a little bit more. And I think I just touched, it's like a, it's like a portal opened or yeah. I aligned in some way with my life's purpose. I don't know how to make sense out of that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I just know that every time I do have sort of a mystical songwriting experience or a mystical writing experience, it's a, it's like an echo or a shadow of that event. And it's all to me, it's um it's just really connecting to the all, to the oneness of all things. And when you do that, I've read so many authors say something similar using all kinds of language. When you find yourself in a moment where you're connected to the oneness of all things, inspiration is is available because there's a cloud of just yeah. <laughs> like billions of potential ideas and you have the ears to hear the one that you yes. hear. Yes. And that is not always how writing is obviously, but it's punctuated by moments like that. And then we work in between. It's yeah. similar to having like big healing experiences as people through therapy or religion or whatever it is. And then you have to do the integration work every day Yes, to make it, take root and writing to me I think writing is similar mystical moments punctuating a long long life of just Mm. showing up and so I don't know I mean I don't know if I really totally do make sense out of it but no I resonate with so much of what you're saying I you and I share a similar experience of growing up religious and then you know having a disillusion of what we the way we once categorized our world and and reimagining and reframing it from the ground up. So a lot of what you're saying makes tons of sense to me. And I know it will to our listeners too. So you, you mentioned a couple of things like the, the spirituality, and then you talked about therapy. I always say about writing that writing is the reason writing is for everyone is because it's 
communication, it's spirituality, it's therapy, it's, it's prayer, it's meditation, it's so many things. Can you talk about for you, the connection that you feel between writing, whether it's music or prose or poetry and spirituality and therapy and healing, inner healing? Absolutely. Processing pain or joy or any kind of human emotion or experience is a is just that it's a it's a process and there are like tiers and layers to let's say metabolizing a certain event or relationship or a loss or a revelation and for me there's talk therapy there's movement Mm -hmm. and there is music and there is relationship those are sort of like the four (laughs) pillars of my healing and movement could be anything from dancing to having a massage. It's just like body sort of listening to the body. Yes. And then there's talking with a therapist to sort of psychoanalyze the issues. Yeah. And then there's relationship where you're sort of incarnating the lessons. But music is the mystical piece to me that, or writing, like sort of expressing through a sort of cathartic channeling. You're channeling your own story and potentially the story of again like the collective it's you're making yourself available to contextualize your story in the whole of human kind of history and awareness and so that's why I think it's for me so powerful when I get to sit down and process my divorce or being a mother and the singing the vibrating of my voice along with the thoughts is like bringing body and mind and spirit into one place and so I think there's just something to the embodiment of the realizations and the, the, the processing and the downloading that we do through like therapy and reading. I'm reading, I read books all the time about mental health, you know, yes. it's really easy to get stuck in that ivory tower and kind of be like, I understand everything about my mental health problems yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whilst yeah still struggling with the same patterns over and over. So for me, embodiment is the thing. It's like body work, music, taking the things I hear in my head and I understand intellectually, putting them into vibration. So that's why I think it's so powerful. It's because it takes the things we think and whether it is writing a book or writing a piece of music, it sends the vibration out into the world and gives it like a life. Yes. It's not just thoughts anymore it's a vibration and it's got a rippling effect in our own life and then beyond our life. And so it affects everything. Like when I sing a song, it affects the entire course of human history, just like a baby crying does. Oh, I love that so much. I just, so music for me is a powerful piece of catharsis because it, it puts my thoughts into vibration. You say something kind of like that about your new album your latest album, which is called Eden. You say there's a deep calm that I can hear in the lyrics. I can tell that I've grown deep and healed and opened up quite a lot. I try never to write a song I haven't lived in some way. So each of these songs is born of some experience in my life. And this reminded me of what I tell authors a lot, which is that when you're working on a book project, you can't expect to transmit something that you haven't experienced. So whatever the message is that you're telling, you live it first and the writing changes you first. And then however it changes you, that's what you're offering to your reader. Can you talk about your experience with that? Sure. 
there are those, I think there are rare, rare moments where you're channeling something that you haven't technically experienced and where it actually speaks to people. I think that's the massively the exception to the yes. rule. I think it happens. I think, you know, but our lived experience certainly informs those things. You know, like Paul Simon sitting down one day and, and hearing Bridge Over Troubled Water and writing it in 15 minutes and knowing it was the best thing he had ever done. In a way, you think, oh, like he kind of channeled that. Yeah. But the last verse of it, which some people might hear and it goes right over their head. It says, sail on silver girl, sail on by your time has come to shine. All your dreams are on their way. He wrote it about his wife who was an aging musician who was feeling really irrelevant. And like she had, she had a hit in the, in the eighties. Um, I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know. If you know what I mean. And like, I just think it's really interesting I mean, he didn't write Bridge Over the Troubled Water before that song happened, but he wrote it about someone. I'm, I'm probably butchering this whole story. But anyways, my point is his lived experience came in through the channeling moment and like made something concrete happen. And I've channeled songs like that, but they almost always, if all, if not always, contain like the building blocks of it are the things I've like labored in the rain, in the mud over yeah. emotionally. So, like, there's a song that I put out with a band that I'm in called The Overstory, and it's called Perfect Sense. It's the only song I've ever written about my marriage, Mm -hmm. and it's confessional. It's brutally honest, so much so that it was the first time I'd ever put anything out where I was like, I'm trembling. People are going to hear my shadow. Like, I'm telling the actual truth about my shadow self here, and... um. I don't know. I just, if you don't live life and stay present to the feelings you're experiencing, to the pain, to the joy, to the, um, the kind of chaos and beauty of everything, it's hard to write compelling stuff. And most of the authors I love and musicians I love are people who know how to synthesize humanity into like vibration that that rings in my body like I feel the truth and you just kind of know it when you feel it and I think that's really just authenticity and presence there's the Liberace's and there's a place for that but like you know the difference when you read a Mary Oliver poem yes <laughs> like yeah no well, offense Liberace I just like you know what I'm saying yes. there's performance art and then there's like um cathartic healing Yes. Art. And that seems to be born out of suffering. Yeah. Transmuting your suffering into vibrations that heal. And I think that takes presence and authenticity. And another thing that you're getting at without really saying it directly too, is sometimes we, like the difference between a Mary Oliver poem and Liberace, (laughs) you can create a piece of art that doesn't necessarily like, there's this obsession in our current culture with like, um, getting famous and maybe that's not just current culture like uh, like having a bunch of instagram followers or getting a book contract or and i think you can write something you could channel something that's really important and prophetic and like needed and that can meet a meet uh, meet a wound or meet a need or heal a wound for somebody that may not get you a bunch of instagram followers how do you strike that balance because you're also a person like i am who's creating art as a way to make a living so 
if there are people listening who are like, well, I want to be like you are, I want to be writing songs or writing books and making money from it. What kind of advice would you give them? It's an ever-changing answer because the the landscape of things is even right now like massively changing because of all of the global shifts we're going through. So I wish I had more practical advice, but I be honest, I don't. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm gonna keep going and doing what I'm <laughs> yeah. doing. So I'm like, I don't know. Can you tell me? Um, <laughs> I I'm trying to think. I'm. It's interesting what's coming to my brain because I'm thinking of like a lot of my favorite favorite books, my favorite art my favorite music and there's like it runs the gamut there are books like there's the practicing the presence of god by brother lawrence which was written by literally a monk who was like the least favorite person in his monastery who washed the dishes and he wrote this little tiny tiny 40 page thing about how to practice the presence of god when he's washing the dishes and it became this beloved spiritual classic after he died because his monastery found it in his papers and like put it out there. Wow. But he was like looked down upon and not thought of as special or interesting the whole time he was there. He was sort of like the guy they were all like, yeah, you know, <laughs> dumb old brother Lawrence, have to you know, up with him. And so like great work seems to like vibrate into where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And that may take, moments or months or years or decades or like there's like Nick Drake who died and then his music became famous it Van Gogh I mean there's so many stories like that and no one wants that to be their story and I have to say too like to speak to like imposter syndrome or like um you know some people I've had people ask me that question and I'm like you know what's funny is my story about myself is that I'm failing all the time and that I should be bigger or more successful or I should have figured it out by now Mm -hmm. and so like there's always like another success level that you haven't hit. And then you hear all those stories about people who reach the top and they're like, I'm still so empty inside, you know? So I think for me, the conversation interiorly has become about, like, obviously there are practical things I can figure out how to make a living. But deeply, I just really hope that everything I'm making is as honest and like healing as it can be. And that has very little to do with how many people actually encounter it um I was just saying to a friend that perfect sense I think is the best song I might ever write and most people won't hear it because it's not coming out under my solo name nobody listens to our band and like there it it might just like be this tiny quiet thing but I think it's the best thing I've ever done but it doesn't really matter you know yeah so I mean I resonate with that feeling actually even if I do have the ability to make a living currently maybe not forever with all this stuff (laughs) happening because I can't tour and stuff it's just become more important to me lately that I'm like well if I can die and know that I didn't make things just to garner followers like I'll be I think I'll feel good about it because like you can't take followers with you nobody really talks about your Instagram followers after you're dead it's very true yeah, I, I resonate with what you said. I think Indestructible is the best book I've ever written, and it's it's sold the fewest copies mm. of any book I've ever written. So that's a painful thing. It's weird. I mean, it's it's painful, and it's also sort of relieving because, like you talked about, sharing your shadow side. I feel like that book really does that for me. So I'm like, you know, it's nice to know that it was only like ten thousand people who, <laughs> instead of like yeah, a hundred thousand. Well, ten thousand know. people. When you think about it in the scheme of the way I understand the universe to work, you know, 10,000 people took in your message and are now metabolizing it into their life and it's touching other people 
and changing the whole course of history. So like it's quote unquote small by some standards, but it's actually like infinitely huge. Sure. And cause exponentially. Yeah. It's huge. Totally. It's huge. So like, it's good to try to maintain, maintain perspective. It's hard to hold on to that. If I just touch one person. Yeah. Because most of us, if we're honest, don't really feel that way. Yeah. But I think there's something to it. It's yeah. like re- keeping in mind that we're here in service. We're not just here to win or like succeed. Like we're here to heal, to heal ourselves and like to heal the world. And so like is what we're doing contributing to that? Then like we're fulfilling our purpose, yeah. you know? I mean, that's how I tell – that's what I tell myself every night right now. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> Audrey, you're fulfilling your purpose. Yes. You don't have a million Instagram followers or even 100,000. Yeah. But like – you're fulfilling your purpose, yes. you know? Yeah. That's really how I, how I speak to myself about it. Yeah, that's good. It's helpful. You mentioned Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence of God as one of those pieces of work that's left a lasting impact on you. Are there other books, authors, music? I mean, you could probably talk for hours about that, but maybe give us a couple who inspire you. Okay. Uh, well, currently I'm reading a lot of work by one person, her name is Caroline Miss. It's M-Y-S-S. Oh, love her. Yeah, I really do too. Um, and Martha Beck. She's like another one that I've fallen in love with. She has a, a book out there that I recommend to all creators, all healers, all people, but called Finding Your Way in a Wild New World. And it is... Oh my goodness. It kind of changed my life. I mean, it did. Most great books do, but... It's a it's not really a self-help book as much as it is a book about being one of those people who walks around and like feels you're whether you're an empath or like a mystical person or just an artist who, you know, creates and connects with God and the the collective. It's just a book about what's happening when that happens and her experiences with it as an author. Like Big Magic is a very similar book, but by Elizabeth Gilbert, but it, but it's, um, maybe a little bit less like, uh, this is like the anatomy. Like she's like, this is the anatomy of that experience. And here's like 800 examples of what I mean. And it's so helpful. So interesting. So that's some, those are two things that more recently have really kind of gripped me. And then other than that, I grew up really just reading a lot of like Louisa May Alcott, and Ellen Montgomery and like all these Jane Austen and all these kind of stories about like unconventional feminine heroes who because I have like I've I've always been the Joe or the Anne of Green Gables or like never the Meg never the like (laughs) Diana Perry I love them I have so many friends who are those people and they actually have really hard lives because everybody looks at them like you're pretty you don't have any suffering and it's just like not true yeah (laughs) but I I've never been that person I've always felt like the homely one and the one like on the fringe and like I don't totally understand how people are navigating all the like fancy schmancy everything it's like not my you know, I can, ha- I can hold my own in a conversation intellectually, but I don't have that feeling of gliding through and sure. everything feels like I'm, um, other than mysticism and creating everything feels like I don't understand what's going on. And so like, yeah. I read a lot of books growing up around about those people. And Ellen Montgomery has a series called Emily of New Moon. Okay. Emily was like a lesser known character than Anne Shirley, obviously. 
Emily would have this thing called the flash. She called it the flash and she'd be like in a meadow or in a church at night. She got lots in a church at night, which is like my worst nightmare. I'm scared of churches at night. <laughs> but she would have this thing where she called it the flash and it was like her whole body got taken over by a shutter and she would sort of see a flash of light and then she would have an idea or she would feel sort of like a deep truth. And I, I was like, I know. Yes. Like that's my experience. Yeah. You know, I'm like out here 12 years old, like listening to Celtic music and trancing out and time traveling to be with the ancient druids. <laughs> People are like, how's your day? I'm like, well, I went to be the, with the Druids in like the fourth the, century. It was pretty great. <laughs> like, you don't tell people those things. Yeah, totally. You're like, like being a mystical child is, yeah. there's like archetypes around that. Yeah. And it's, it's a very interesting thing. And so I really related to these non-conformist, non-conventional female heroes. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my childhood reading was really around that. And I still return to those books because I feel so understood. And I suspect that the people writing those books were people who felt that way. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what comes to my mind when I think of my favorite books is books about women who amazing didn't glide. (laughs) Uh, Yes, man. So a couple different ways that we can come at this, but I talk a lot about how in the world of publishing, it's so important that we don't count ourselves out as a writer. It happens a lot because we've got these cultural ideas about who's a writer and who's not. And when we think about the canon of publishing over time, we need millions of diverse voices contributing to the canon. Otherwise, we end up with what we have now, which is whole swaths of history that are only told by one group of people. And then we forget Mm -hmm. what actually happened. And, Mm -hmm. And then, you know... People like you and me, like white women moving through the world, are educated in such a way where we just don't even have access to the experience of a whole group of people. So, You're so right. I'm curious, two different parts to the question. Number one, are there ways in which, as a woman in the world, you have felt silenced? And and how have you approached that? And then also, what advice would you give to someone who's listening who feels like, I don't have a voice worth sharing? I absolutely have felt that. I mean, I grew up in a uh, religious tradition that literally taught that the role of a woman is silence. So that practically looked like women not being able to read the scriptures aloud in front of a male-bodied person or not being able to pray out loud in front of a person who was male and over the age of reason, which would be like 12 or 13. And not being able to sing in front of the church, not being able to preach, obviously. Very patriarchal, marital kind of, you know, very not just complementarian, but sort Mm -hmm. of like you just don't get it. You don't get a say where I came from. So I grew up believing that was how it should be. And when I started writing songs, I was 19. I remember I talked to someone from my church about it, a family member. And this person said, like, I was so excited. I was like, God has called me. And I was like, so zealous, you know, Jesus touched my life. And did you know, you would think as like a, a religious sort of elder, you'd be like, yes, this is awesome. You're like, You're really saved. Like you, you know, you've really heard the call. God is really working with you. And instead the message was very literally, well, you're not singing those songs in front of anyone, are you? Because if you are, that would be preaching and that would be wrong because you're a woman. And I remember that moment I thought, we sing Fanny Crosby hymns in our church. What, like, we can't even carry it out to like its most logical conclusion. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. Like there was like, it was the first time I ever thought this is so silly. Like, do you hear yourself? You know? So I definitely know what it feels like to, to grow up without a say or a role 
or a voice, you know, in that way. And all I can say is that it took me many years to even, like, even after I left, I was 19 when I Mm. left. And even after that, it was like, I couldn't figure out how to get rid of the residue. Yeah. It was just like in my cells. Yeah. So the thing about healing from being told you don't have a voice or being experienced, you know, experiencing that you don't have one is that it's a, like it's at a cellular level that that healing needs to take place. It's not just correcting your thoughts. Yeah. That is the top down approach. So I think one of the most healing things I ever did around this was going to this women's retreat. And granted, it was the most, I mean, it was the most bohemian, <laughs> like hippie, naked in California desert kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> Full disclosure. But we went there was like this thing we did one day where there were sound bowls, these kind of crystal sound bowls. And one of the women facilitating it was like vibrating the sound bowl. And if you've never heard a sound bowl, it's almost like it's one frequency, but then there's all these harmonics in it and you hear it reverberating off the walls of the room and it kind of just starts filling the room with sound. And then you start feeling it resonating in your body. And then she had us sing and like, we kind of prophetically went in this like, flow together where we were singing along with this frequency so people are singing harmonies in there and then we we got to this part where she guided us to sing the word no and it was like I've never experienced anything like a room full of people remembering the moments where somebody did or said or took advantage you know of them in such a way that they didn't have the opportunity to say say no no yeah and all of a sudden we were like well what is time time doesn't mean anything we'll just do it right now and, I mean, it was like, I have chills thinking about it. Wow, it, I have chills too. It was like, oh, I get to say no now to the things that happened yeah. to me when I was 12 or 13. Like, growing up in a church where men were never questioned, and I was mm. groomed by an elder when I was a te- young, young teenager. And, like, talking about it to people and them saying, like, yeah, that's just kind of how he is. You kind of have to stay out of his way. And, like, I could say no today through like an embodied sort of spiritual ritualized moment and exercise because my inner child still needs to say it even if she didn't get to back then and so I think finding your voice in some ways is 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 possible through um time travel in that way where it's like where are the places that I have felt silenced and why don't I like ritualize Mm. my speaking up now yeah not just even if they that person never hears it It's just about me saying it, me hearing myself say it. So that's been my practice is like, how do I find ways to hear myself say the things I never got to? Because if I'm waiting around for someone else to like, especially those people (laughs) to validate or hear that, I'm going to be waiting forever. And, but who really needs to say it or hear me say it is my, is my inner child. Yeah. It reminds me of a writing exercise that I give when I teach workshops that I found out later. Bessel van der Kolk talks about this and calls it re-scripting. I didn't know that it was a, when I was giving this exercise, I didn't know that it was like a therapeutic tool. But basically the idea is taking an old experience from your life and re-scripting it. So writing it the way that you wish it would have happened. And a lot of times what it means, like especially for me when I use this in my own life, is even if all of the circumstances went the same way, what did I do differently that, you know, like got me out of that relationship sooner or that, you know, gave me permission to say no when I wished I could say no or whatever, you know, however it is that I wish I would have. Like, you know, if I could take 
all of the healing that I've done now and use it in that setting, how would I have acted? And it's just a totally different. What's interesting is our brains don't know the difference, especially with trauma, because that part of your brain that catalogs the trauma does not understand time. Exactly. And so if you do the healing now, it still works. It still works. It's wild, but I've seen it and felt it and experienced that healing from the past now works. Yeah. You think it won't, and then it miraculously does. And yes, there's lots of slogging and work in between these moments. But when you have that corrective emotional experience, yeah. it changes your chemistry. Like yeah. It changes your life. Totally. And there are many ways to get there. I mean, many ways. There's like trauma therapy modalities and there's what you're talking about, which I love. I love that, like the rescripting, the, the sitting down and writing the story in a way that's new, newly framed and seeing ourselves again or seeing our experience again. There's plant medicine and there's like all these different avenues that offer us the opportunity to like recarve our brain pathways very literally. And it works. And I'm so thankful it works. And music and art give us that yes. as well. Because like, have you ever, you know, I know you have, but like any of you listening, you'll know this experience when you're, you're suffering, you're in pain, let's say heartbroken. And there's a song that comes across your path for however it comes across your path. Someone sends it to you or you find it or, and you hear it and it reverberates in your body and the tears start coming and yep. you start releasing the sorrow and it's like it moves the energy and you're like, oh my gosh, only this lyric, only this sound would have actually hit me and intersected with yes. me in this way. And like you forever like are able to access that feeling yes, through, the, through song. the song. And you'll listen to the song a thousand times, at least that's for me. There are times when it's like, I need the song so badly that even though it makes me sad, yes. I will listen to it on repeat totally. over I mean, I have over. those albums, those songs, like oh, it's magical. And like, so magical. we are able to do so much healing. It's, it's pretty incredible. Can we talk about your book? Yeah. Are you allowed to talk about I like, am. okay, yeah. tell me, tell me all about it. It's officially called, as of two days ago, <laughs> <laughs> Doubt Becomes Wonder. Oh. And it's a book about life after the loss of belief. It's not a book about reconstruction. Okay. Because I am not reconstructing. I mean, in a way, yes, I am. Of course, we always are. But sure. it's not a book about how to reconstruct belief or reconstruct faith, even or religious system. But what does it look like to lose belief and then be okay with it? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. sort of, but still finding that I'm a spiritual being who wants to feel connection to the divine in myself and others. And so it's spiritual memoir. It's not super prescriptive, but it has elements of that, I suppose. Uh, But mostly it's just, it's a bunch of stories about growing up Plymouth brethren and then becoming a nihilist and then like being the person I am today. And gosh, I'm, it's intim- It's hard. I've never written a book. I've always written essays, yeah, articles, like maybe short stories. Sure. Writing a book is a whole different beast, and really I am, I am flailing yet somehow figuring it out. <laughs> I love my editor and I love my agent, and that was a magical thing how it all worked out. And I don't know if, I don't know. It's just I I didn't I knew I would write one one day. Yeah. And I would I would get kind of hear from publishers occasionally because I would write these articles and for like publications and like newspaper because I've always loved doing that. So even as an as an artist, I was writing for like Catholic charities sure. about like creation care or just like different things like that. And 
or contributing, I was a contributing columnist to this Catholic publication for a while called Magnificat, which is like a quarterly devotional aid that Catholics use. And I just love, I love writing. And so I've always done spiritual writing. And I was like, oh, you know, they'd be like, you know, you have this many followers and this many album sales. Like, would you like to write a book? I'm like, well, not just to write one. Like, I don't want to just like, sure, sure. about a book to put on my merch table <laughs> because I have a following. Like, that that literally is not. I can't. It has to be something that yeah. needs to be said. Yes, I have to find that idea. That yeah. like you read about it in like Elizabeth Gilbert books, who talks about like catching an idea and you like know you're the one to sort of labor it and birth it into the world. Yeah, I just hadn't had one of those, and I was like, well, one day I will, but I haven't had that. And then one day I did, and I called my friend who was an agent, and I was like, hey, I have this idea. And it was a very different idea than what the book ended up becoming, which is funny. There's elements of it in there, but I felt inspired. I felt like it was time. I felt like I was pregnant. You know, it was like yeah. that was the feeling. And yes. then it all just kind of flew from, flew from there. But So it's coming out on Convergent with Penguin Random House in 2021. And it's called Out Because of Wonder. And I'm really excited about it. Even I'm though I'm so not even excited. done with it yet. I'm, I'm supposed so to hand it in on November 2nd. And I'm like, um, like I'm like a, halfway like done with the draft. <laughs> Authors are always late, you know? Just, uh, it's just like par for the course. So what does, given that you're moving from songwriting to book writing, and I know enough about this to know it's just really, really different. What does your writing life look like, practically speaking? Okay, I'm going to give, you want the real answer? I want the real okay. answer. The real answer is... I'll be like, okay, I need, I need to work on this chapter. I have the, cha- I have the outline. Here we go. And I'll sit down and two hours later I've written three sentences and I'm like, maybe I should drink or smoke weed <laughs> or like <laughs> go look on Facebook marketplace instead. Yeah, totally. And then I do that. And then I'll be like at three thirty in the afternoon, like vacuuming my living room. And I'm like, oh my God, I got it, you know? Yeah. And then it's yes. just like this, I'm hovering around it all the time yes. and like waiting for things to come to me. And sometimes they do. And my editor likes it and I'm like, okay, I'm doing it, I guess. I mean, I don't feel like I'm doing it well. I feel like I'm fits and starts and rambling my way towards this book getting written. But Lots of like before COVID, it was lots of airport lounges with a yeah. stiff drink. Yes. Crying because I'm like writing about like trauma and like being <laughs> sexually abused and being like, I'm like, God, this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't> like it. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've cried sitting like in an airplane with people so close to me. And I'm sure they're like, who's this woman who's just losing her mind? But that's me, man. I'm totally the airport, the airplane crying girl. Yeah. Whether it's like songwriting or writing or, and I'm just like, listen, y'all, I got kids at home. (laughs) There's no other time for me to do this. This is my private time. (laughs) This is my vacation. Just look the other way. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. It's too good. Oh, I didn't even have kids at home when I did that. But yeah, it is. It feels like something about being on an airplane is like permission to be offline for a while. There's something very magical about that. I agree. I love working on the plane. I've written lots of songs on planes. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I'll be like in the minute. I mean, I have like a laptop with some gear on it and I can't like sing, you know, on the plane, but I can write in my head. And so I'll write lyrics and then I'll be like, oh, and I'll open my recording program and put the beat down and do like, yeah. I mean, I've done, I've written some of my favorite songs that I've ever put out on a plane. There's one called Collateral Damage that came out with a band that I'm in that does dance music. 
And it's maybe one of my favorite things I've ever written. And it's another really like angsty, painful relationship song. And um, yeah, totally wrote it on an airplane. I mean, airplanes are my favorite. But I don't get to do that right now. I so know. I'm like, well, dang it. Thanks to I got to like figure out my new um, weird spot, you know? Yeah, sure. So you know what I do? is I actually go to this restaurant in town that has like a community table in it and they're open now and they were like super great about all the sterility and like keeping everybody apart. And I find for some reason, like you, we all want to be the kind of writer that's like in front of an open window at a beautiful desk, like yes. feeling the fresh air and listening to the birds. <laughs> I talk about this all the time. But <laughs> yeah. I end up finding it's a lot easier for me to write when I have visual white noise and actual white, like restaurant clatter. It's like, yeah. it's a weird hack for me where I'm like, if it's too quiet, I almost can't think. Sure. And I have to be somewhere where not like loud things are happening, but where a lot of little things are happening. Sure. So I find that for me, and maybe that's why planes work. Maybe. Yeah. That's why airports work for me. So I've had to find my own like new spots in this weird era of like most places not being yeah, open. Yeah, not being open. And um, you're like, can you guys just come over to my house and just like make yeah, quiet just noise chatter in the front and, yard? Like, wash the dishes. And <laughs> it's like, I don't know why that works for me, but it I does. Know, it's so it's funny. It's so interesting. Something different for everyone. You know, I have a weird thing I do when I write where I will turn the same song on over and over again. I'll turn it on repeat. It's like it gets my brain in a Is groove. it the same song every time? No, it's different depending on what I'm writing. And like I have certain albums where like a song or two I'll pick out and it's like that's all I can listen to while I write the whole book. Wow. And then I almost can't go back and listen to those songs again because... Because it puts you in the stress of needing me, to write it or something. Totally. Like, yeah, oh, like puts me get back a draft in the place. <laughs> I don't know. That's but. interesting. I can't listen to music and write at all. A lot but of people say some that. people can. It's yeah. so fascinating the different kind of for it me is. it's that clattery for some it's like diner sounds. That's yeah. that's the thing for me. I don't know what it is. So funny. So I need it. Oh my God. How have I never thought of just finding a YouTube video of diner like sounds? You could try <gasps> that. Yeah. You should just it's broadcast. It's right now. I'm <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to like turn, when we like leave this, I'm going to find some YouTube videos and try writing to there them There needs tomorrow. to be a diner white noise app. Oh, or diner, I'm sure that I'm there, sure I'm something. sure that exists. Yeah. And I'm going to find it and it's going to help me finish this book. So. I love it. <laughs> Well, we can't wait to, wait to read it. I know we need to wrap up. I want to be conscious of your time, but thank you so much yeah. for sharing all your wisdom with us. And when the book comes out, we'll have you back on the podcast. You can talk about the book. Tell us where to go to find Unless you hate it. Well, and then, it's going to be amazing. You know, I can't imagine I it being anything so. different. It's very honest. Yes. People who have been asking me for years on social media, what do you believe? You're like, you're, you're going gonna to find, gonna find out. The <laughs> There's going to be some weird shit. There. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be fun because y'all are going to get some tea. Is oh, all I'm gosh. Saying. That's how I feel when people ask me that. Like, what do you believe now? And I'm like, you don't want to know. You'd stop following me. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll talk about that when we hang up this up. Yeah. Well, recording. thank you again, Audrey. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.